0: Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of our Pacific Talks where I engage in active conversations with my guests to talk about the challenges our world is facing and seeing them through a Pacific lens. For this episode, I'm very happy to meet and discuss with Annette Set. Annette is the founder and manager of LavaGirl Limited and Maku Gifts, a fashion brand and a home based business making and selling unique gifts in PNG and in the Pacific. Annette is also the winner of the Best Established Designer Award at the PNG Fashion Week in 2019. It is my pleasure to have some time to chat with Annette about her career and also her vision regarding different major issues about entrepreneurship in the Pacific. Before we begin, you will notice that this conversation has been impacted by some connectivity issues, but fortunately, we managed to run this conversation smoothly. I hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on to a discussion with Annette. Annette, hello, welcome to The Pacific Talks.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me. Uh,
0: So first question, very easy. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing today?
1: Okay, so I run a gift uh, type of shop. So what we try to do is to uh, spin local products, mainly handicrafts, uh, home decorative pieces, Um, garments and fabrics, so anything with the Papua New Guinea twist to it. Uh, So we try to spin a lot of local um, motifs and local prints on fabrics and garments and then make jewelries and anything else uh, out of what we find within the environment.
0: Mm -hmm. And how long have you been uh, running this business now?
1: So my business is uh, fashion mix uh, gift items. Um, so it's um, it's called Marco Gifts, and I've been running it for the last um, last five six years.
0: Okay so uh, as a woman entrepreneur uh in PNG uh can you tell us a little bit about what it took for you uh to reach your goal uh and and to grow your business so what are the obstacles that you faced and maybe what are the good surprises that you made uh, along the way Okay so
1: um mainly I think finding a niche market or finding a gap in the market that we can try and fulfill. Um, so basically before I started in 2014, 2015, we couldn't find local prints on fabrics or garments. There's a, there's hardly anything that's appropriate that's um, relative to you know the people or the culture. Um, and so there was a need, I felt at the time, to create something that Papua New Guineans will relate to and can proudly wear. And so it, it started, you know, us getting into printing fabrics and, and garments and making jewelries and other things out of what we can find in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the great thing about it is because I have a media and marketing background, I was able to um, use social media to try and push our brand, grow our brand, as well as push shop products. Um, So, although we we did not have an online shop, we did a lot of marketing on Facebook. And um, Papua New Guineans, you know, when they got on Facebook, they they loved the idea that they could write a lot more, they could share pictures. And we were able to use that to our advantage to market and grow the brand in the last um, five or six years. Uh, When COVID um, hit, we were very lucky because we have printed a container load of fabric. It had landed uh, in-country and then there was this shutdown. So I wasn't too worried about the lockdown. I was like, I you know, while we're not able to sell, we still have products in and we're going to launch the new products as soon as, you know. All the restrictions are lifted, so we had products to sell. We we were lucky in that we had a shipment, you know, landed just before the lockdown. Mm. Um, so that, that was um, able to help us. Um, it was a struggle at first to try and kind of put my face out there and and you know market our products. And I do a lot of the marketing myself, a lot of the dresses I wear and advertise on social media. So it was a concern for me at the start, like how would people react to it when all the customers love the fact that, you know, here's somebody who's putting herself out there trying to market the products and not using actual models and things like that. Because one, I couldn't afford the models. Um, But then when we started, you know, spinning it on social media, we got a lot of positive Feedback and, and increase our sales and increase our reach into the market so it quite worked. I mean it worked quite well for us All
0: right, well, that's uh, quite uh, a good uh, growth and development that you had and uh, it seems like social media was uh, was a key in your strategy
1: It was it was um, If we if we were to go on the on the traditional media we won't be able to get as far and wide. Like right now, we have about 100,000 followers uh, within the country plus the Pacific. Because um, I travel and lived in Fiji a little bit and then um, you know went around Solomon Islands, Vanuatu to try and promote our products. Um, so we have quite a big reach. Um, we Had had we gone on the traditional media, newspapers, radio, television, we won't be able to get that far. And also we cannot afford the costs in, in trying to use traditional media. Um, so social media, in particular Facebook, helped us a lot to grow the brand.
0: Mm, indeed. Uh, and so I understand that you are working with uh, families uh, to help you create all the jewelries and, and accessories that you produce. So, how do you lead a business in this you uh, kind of u- unusual setting, working with the community and like growing the business with the community? And how did you have to adapt between a more corporate approach, I would say, a- and a more community-based approach?
1: Okay, so. So, uh, because we started as a family business, the whole thing started on my kitchen table and then moved on to the shopping malls, um, so it was it was built mainly on family connections and then getting the family to work with the business from the start. So when we started employing people, you would employ like say the father who would help us to cut coconut shells and things like that to make something you would then have the mother stringing it for us. Mm. So when I talk about employees coming on, I, I see them as a complete family. And, and so we're not like just feeding one employee, we're feeding like the family. And also when we give out work, it goes back to the families. Like people would help us to beat or to string some beads or seeds for us. Um, families would collect coconut shells for us uh families of staff would then go out and and um collect uh, seashells uh staff would take home garments that need to be crocheted or knitted you know so Mm -hmm. it's passed on to their families or people in their village Mm -hmm. um and it helped a lot and it also helped in in our story and telling our story um so we have a strong connection with a lot of the staff and we try to encourage uh, a lot of community um, work with groups within the community. For example, now that we've moved into Port Moresby in the city, we are working with local mothers in the coastal villages um, in the city to try and, um, one is we buy raw products from them. So we buy seashells, other seeds, pebbles, things like that. But two, we get them to make items or customize
0: items for us. Um, so, do you think uh, working with families the way you are, uh, the way you do is actually uh, a fitter way to organize a business in our Pacific Islands? Because we are indeed used to work as families or communities, and as you were saying, the idea of employing just one person from the from the family may not be as beneficial or as practical as having the whole family committed to it?
1: Yeah, Um, I think for the Pacific, it will work. Um, And that's what we find when we work with the families, most of the production and having, you know, to want to make things with what we find within our environment, we have to work with them to supply those type of products, Mm -hmm. like natural fiber, leaves, it's, these are things in their villages, in their backyard, that we may not necessarily have access to. And so when we work with those people, they're able to gather it for us. It's their land. It's on their land. They own those things. Um, but it's they, they would not normally use those things, like they really burn the leaves or, you know, do something else. It, it may be considered rubbish. Uh, mm-hmm. to. Most of them, but
0: then we take it on and then put our spin or pimp it up, so then we're able to use it in different crafts and jewelry. Okay, interesting, and and so as you said, all those uh, crafts and and jewelries are are inspired by local motifs and and local jewelries like more traditional ones, and 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 we know that in the Pacific, those art crafts are are very important on a cultural level. Uh, so, and I guess your answer is yes, but I'm still going to ask the question. Do you think there's an opportunity for traditional art craft to be a source of economic growth in the Pacific communities?
1: I, I think so. I, I really believe that it can be, it will be, and it has been, like with our experiences. Of course, there are some traditional taboos as to, you know, how you can use several of the traditional material for different different things, like right? So there could be a culture that restricts us from using it in a certain way, but how do you put your spin on it and, and use it again? Like, there could be taboos in using one particular shell, uh, you know, one around ladies' neck or men's neck, or, or they, they, they could be some sort of cultural taboos in using it in a certain way. How do we modernize some of those things? How do we bring it out? still have that respect for that item? Uh, and use uh, uh, in a way that it's not um, not in a bad way and not in a negative way, but in a way you're, you're, you're promoting the use of that natural item to you're able to make money from it and still maintain that respect uh, of how it's being used. Mm. And, and I'll give an example. In Papua New Guinea, the building is... Um, has moved from its natural functions of carrying a baby inside or carrying your things to the garden and all that to now a fashion uh, fashion item. So the more colorful or, you know, people would change the handle or have some leather handles on it with natural fiber. Uh, so something like that. They're still using, they're still maintaining the respect for it. They just pimp it up a little bit to reflect the modern time and the style that's coming along. Um, and, and, and so I don't see it as, you know, having no respect for cultural items, but I see it as, um, using it for the modern day and making it more, um, applicable to today's generation. Mm. Like we, we make it to a quality that Papua New Guinea women are still proud of carrying it. Um, and there is a style and, and, and fashion tweak to it.
0: Mm, Indeed. And obviously, if it comes from a local uh, business owner like your local entrepreneur, it will be first better understood on what to use and what not to use. And secondly, probably better accepted by the community in the way that you may modernize the use or the patterns or or all those elements than if it was uh, an outside company that was coming and trying to just use those patterns without the knowledge of the cultural setting of it.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. Hmm. And, and so in, in that regard, uh, in, in your future project, uh, is there a plan or a strategy for you to kind of partner with other islands and, and try to develop uh, uh, more models and more uh, products based on all the Pacific cultures in order to kind of like reclaim the use of those uh, traditional elements and, and modernize them and, and make them as product that will benefit the communities?
1: Yeah, um, I think so. Um, I've worked with uh, Fijian designers uh, to try and create different products. Um, We've met in several uh, different events. I've shown in the Fiji um, shows as well. Um, I've done some work with the Vanuatu people or women in terms of handicrafts. Um, They had a huge tourist market before the COVID. Uh, there's there's, There's probably the only government in the Pacific, that has a five-year plan for handicrafts, mm. um, and they're very um, they they're very active in that space. They've you know they have markets that are predominantly selling Vanuatu-made items. Um, so there, there is already mm. interest and talks going on on trying to do something more, you know, to involve the whole Pacific. Mm -hmm. Uh, My ladies brand, uh, I am quite keen to bring it into the Pacific market and and open up the type of products and the prints that we do uh, on some of the some of the garments that I want to target the the, the Pacific market with. Um, So there is already um, discussions and work with other designers in the other Pacific island countries.
0: Mm. Okay, interesting. I I'm Philippe, the host of the Pacific Talks and also the founder of Pacific Venturi. If you like this podcast, you may be interested to discover our weekly newsletter, The Global Tiller. In a five minutes reading, we give you a new and fresh perspective on global trends and issues. From the Pacific to South Asia, discover our analysis of global challenges done from a point of view that is not one of the major centers of influence. A good way to change your approach to major topics. If you're looking for a different way to understand the news, subscribe for free at The Global Tiller. Find out more on theglobaltiller.substack.com or on pacificventure.com/newsletters. Hope to see you there. Um, so I'd I'd like to to come to a, a story that was very interesting, and I discovered that by doing my my researches for for this episode. So I discovered that in two thousand and nineteen, you have taken to court a Chinese company, uh, Tropicana Limited, for uh, copyright infringement. Uh, so can yes. you can you tell us a little bit more about the, the story, if you can? Uh, what well, what happened? How did you manage to uh, like fight this case and 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 all this? Yeah.
1: All right. So I've several. I've taken out several lawsuits against um, several Asian companies that have uh, copied my designs or infringed on my copyright. Um, so both of them are before the national court in PNG. So I can't discuss the particulars of the cases, uh, but we are going to court trial on the twelfth of July. So it is a case, or the cases are being. You know, looked at as the first in the country because you know no SMEs, small businesses, have taken any any big company to court over copyright. So this is the first one. I think it's gone beyond just a, a case for Marco Gibbs or Lavagel or and etc. It's more a case for getting a precedent set for Papua New Guinea uh, creatives who have had their designs and their work. Um, infringed on over the years. Mm. So it'll be interesting to watch the case. I know that I've done a number of interviews with um, other Pacific Island uh, media to, to discuss you know, this, this particular case when, um, when we initially went to court. Uh, but again, because the matter is before the courts now, I won't be able to get into details of everything. But yes, we've finally gotten ourselves a trial date.
0: Um, so it'll be 12th of July this year. Mm. Yeah, well, obviously we won't discuss the case, but what what is very interesting, and and, and I, I wouldn't say I was happy, but I was in, inspired and impressed by, by learning that about you because very often uh, we don't see many companies, many small businesses from the Pacific trying to catch on those big ones and, 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 and make them... Uh, do like legal business and not try to take advantage of their position and and their strengths to impose yeah. their laws on, on pacific uh, businesses so what was the trigger for you what made you decide and to say okay enough i i have my pro- property my intellectual properties and this is my right to to defend that what, what was the trigger for that uh,
1: it was frustrating that they keep getting away with a lot of things like it's not just um Copy, 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 cut, paste. Mm. There were also items where they would copy your concept because you have marketed the products, you have done your, you know, advertising and all of that. You've created a demand in the marketplace. They just have to run with something very similar,
2: mm. and
1: it just frustrates me to the core. Like there has to be, they have to be stopped. There has to be some laws that protect indigenous, you know, art from companies, large companies that just want to, you know, commercialize everything. Um, And so when I was doing my research to find out if there was, you know, previous cases of of that, and there was nothing, nothing in PNG, there was even nothing in the Pacific. And Mm. and it bothered me, like, why can't we say something? You know, is it going to, it's going to cost us, obviously, but somebody has to do something. And if you go back and look at all of those, um, my stories since 2019, I went on social media practically begging some lawyers to help me with this case. I'm like, I, I'm not really into you know money. I don't care whatever you want to take. The thing is, if you think I have a good case, why don't you represent me?
2: Mm.
1: You know, like let's fight this. And it's incredible the amount of support that I got from people wanting to support. And so our legal team is made up of volunteers who responded to my plea on, on social media to come on and represent me in that case. Mm. They are working absolutely free. But wow. we, are re- we are really, really aiming to, to gain a precedent set on these type of cases. Mm. So like I said earlier on, it's no, long, it's no longer about my business but it's about getting something set for local businesses or people in the creative space, not only for Papua New Guinea, but also for the Pacific.
0: Mm, indeed, and that would definitely be a landmark decision uh, if, if it goes in your favor. Um,
1: It'll be. I mean, I mean, I was in Fiji and I saw p Arts on fabrics being sold by Chinese shops. And I was like, how did they get the hold of these uh, designs? It's Papua.
0: Mm. Indeed. And and so what, what do you think is, uh, what is, uh, according to your experience, uh, what is preventing more businesses in the Pacific to step up like you did uh, against those big companies that are taking cultural elements and, and use them to uh, sell a lot of products, including in the Pacific, Uh, To kind of like step up and and say, no, we want to protect our our rights. This is our culture. This is our intellectual properties. Is it like a lack of information, a lack of uh, resources maybe? What do you think is preventing more businesses to act like you did against this company?
1: I think it's lack of education and also lack of resources to fight the bigger companies. Mm. Um, I've taken certain companies in the Pacific as well where we said to court, well not exactly to court but put them on notice and we had to settle out of court. Uh, But what I find is that when we don't push, when we don't say anything, they get away with it and they continue to do so. Indeed. Yeah. I, th- I think we ourselves do not speak up. We kind of just yes, must take it on and not, not kind of question, mm. and that's how they continue.
0: So uh, I'd like I'd like to take a, a big picture uh, view now uh, and and talk a little bit about PNG's economy as a, as a whole. Uh, when we think about PNG, we mostly think about heavy industries such as uh, petroleum, mining, and and all those uh, those like prime resources industries. Uh, or potentially agriculture in the primary sector. So, it's such, in, in such an economic landscape, what roles do small businesses like yours have to play in creating growth and development for your economy?
1: Yeah, I think um, our small businesses contribute in so many ways. Um, we continue to pay our taxes, we continue to employ um, Papua New Guineans that may not uh, have the skills to work in the mines. Um, or other areas in the resource um, sector, mm-hmm. um, we continue to uh, feed families that depended on all those small businesses. There's so many of us that are getting into that space. It's very interesting in that we just ended a week long SME PNG SME uh, week or celebration, if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, we almost everyone that talks SME in one room to discuss all the different challenges and as well finding solutions uh, for those challenges so it's interesting uh, that you would ask that question right at, at right as we end um, the week um, the PNG government has committed uh, 200,000 kina to provide um, capital of funding uh, to SMEs. So the funds has gone through the commercial banks and then the small businesses can borrow from those banks to continue their uh, businesses following uh, COVID restrictions as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do feel that we contribute a lot uh, to the economic growth. I am not of specific uh, details uh, figures of the last um, last reports that came out but you know there's uh, there's so many of us uh, and a lot of Papua New Guinea women especially have gone into setting up their own businesses, setting up their own uh, little setups or even as a side, side business to their normal jobs mm. um, so currently there is uh, an interest or a trend in a lot of us women living corporate world to set
0: up our own businesses. Ah, interesting. And and do you think this is also related to the fact that as climate change is becoming more and more present in our lives, we realize those big industries, such as those helping to run PNG's economy, are becoming more of a problem than a benefit uh, to our islands. And then that SMEs can become an alternative uh, in, a, in a new economic model.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like, we have a number of minds and now the the guests. So, um, a lot of people are waking up uh, to the idea. Um, There's there's a lot of um, interest in going green and doing things correctly as well. So, I guess the discussions have been happening over over time. Uh, A lot of us now waking up to, you know, this idea of global warming, warming the effects that it has on the land, its people, and even the economy. So, I think that a lot of Papua New Guineans are waking up to that idea.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And so, and so, you were saying that a lot of uh, women are, are leading that uh, new dynamic of SMEs. Uh, is it just because now there is op- there are opportunities for them, or, or is there any other element that comes into uh, this New wave of uh, but, of women entrepreneurs uh, in PNG.
1: Um, it could be several factors. Um, I would think that before, say, ten or twenty years ago, men were the breadwinners of you know families. Now you have a lot of women stepping up, uh, doing some of the jobs that were you know traditionally men's. Um, a lot more, more women getting into the business space would reflect um, certain of uh, opportunities that were available for women, like you know women in business. Uh, there's some banks giving particular loans for women. I cannot confirm at this time if they're still running women's desks and things like that, because I guess the focus now is it's mainly on SME. Uh, But when you look at the SME composition, there's a lot of women directors or women-owned businesses in the SME sector as
0: well. Mm. Okay, interesting. Well, that's anything but uh, a bad thing to see so many women. So hopefully this dynamic will continue in the entrepreneur field. True. Yeah. Alright, uh, so at, at this point of the podcast, uh, usually what I do is uh, I, I go back to uh, one of the books that I recently read and, and I take out a quote uh, from this book to kind of confront it to the guest of the podcast and to kind of like have great minds uh, collide uh, together. So uh, for you, I chose a, a quote from a book called The Prosperity Paradox from a Harvard professor called uh, Clayton Christensen. And uh, he he talks about innovation. And and so here's the quote. And and I would like you to to tell me what you think of that. So he says this, uh, innovation is not only about high tech solutions, it is the change in the processes by which an organization transforms labor, capital materials, and information into products and services of greater value. That doesn't necessarily involve cutting cutting edge technologies. So do you agree with that, and, and do you think that uh, the role of innovation in the Pacific is important the way that you do it, which is just to rethink some traditional things and try to turn them into uh, economic opportunities, and that in, self, in itself is innovation?
1: Very true, exactly. I would, I would truly support that, um, that statement. Um, I see from my own business, you know, people have seen the coconut shells around the place. People have seen some of the earrings and the stuff that come out from, from say places like Samoa or Fiji. Mm-hmm. Um, we have put our own spin on it and included it in clothing pieces and things like that. So. Um, and even in uh, decorative pieces, if you walk into any of our shops, like in Port Moresby or East New Britain, you will see a lot of different uses of the coconut shells. So it's something that people are used to seeing every other time. We're just thinking a different way to use it and a creative way to use it. And to add on the value uh, to that piece of coconut shell, something new that if someone wears it or decorate their homes, it's a conversation starter if you have somebody new coming in or somebody admiring the stuff that you're wearing. So I would truly say that, you know, that quote is is absolutely true. We don't necessarily need like high-tech or new type of technology to do a lot of the things in the Pacific. We just need to rethink how we use it. Obviously, our grandparents would have used it um, in that one way and we all grew up knowing that this is how pandanus leaf is used This is how a coconut shell, you know has been used and it's passed on from generation to generation How do we think outside the box and recreate something that's always been a tradition to us? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we think up a new way of using it? Uh, and that itself is innovation and that is pretty much our business
0: Hmm. That's super inspiring and it's eventually, at the end of the day, it's just using the same resources but finding many ways to use them so you don't impact too much what's available but you create more value out of it, which is quite beneficial yeah. for environments Very like much. Hmm. Very
1: much. Because when we also sell in the marketplace, you don't want to be selling the same thing as the other sister, you know, sitting next to you. Uh, My argument is that if we do the same thing, then we're going to be racing to smile and whoever smiles better get the customer. You know what I mean? Mm. Like differentiate the product, create your own style, find a niche and then set it out to do it. And it could be just the same piece of coconut shell. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, indeed. Exactly. Well, Annette, uh, it it was really, really interesting to to talk to you. I just have one last question for you. Uh, You are quite an inspiration and I'm pretty sure people uh, listening to you are are thinking about maybe doing something by themselves in our islands. So my last question for you is, is what would be your advice or or recommendation for any person who would like to become an agent of change for his or her community or for the globe in general? Uh, But wouldn't know exactly what to do, how to do it, or could feel a little bit helpless for now.
1: Okay. I think for us, uh, Pacific Islanders, most times we wait for somebody else to do something and then we follow. I think it's high time that we all stand up and take some action, like do something. If you want to, if you want to create a business, do it. Like we don't need to wait, um, for others, or outsiders to come in and tell us that it's time we work on this project. I think it's high time that we all not depended on aid money because I see that from the Pacific, most times some of these products in handicraft and all of that, we are waiting for donor agencies to tell us that we need to tick these boxes to be able to sell to this country or to that country. We need to take these boxes to be able to get funding to do our own stuff. Um, I think that it's high time we start standing up and taking responsibility and creating things within our own um, communities, using our own resources, and build our wealth and, and finance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of uh, women in the Pacific especially we tend to be wanting or we're waiting to get approval from the male figure in our homes as well and um, you know I do respect that in a cultural setting I think when we went to business we should be able to make some of those decisions to get up there and follow our dreams that our business is powerful and want.
0: Mm, indeed. Well you're definitely leading the way in all those... Uh positive change in, in PNG, but I'm sure you're an inspiration outside as well. So, Annette, thank you very much. We managed to do it despite uh, some internet issues, but uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and, and all the best in, in your uh, coming challenges and all your projects. Thank you
1: so much. And the whole interview itself is a story.
0: <laughs> it <laughs> it is,
1: is a story. <laughs> the struggles of your, this is PNG, oh my God. Pop uh high internet cost, and the internet is not many. It's not always there. Uh, yeah, so that's a struggle. Thank you so much for having the patience and continue to follow up and finally get the information. Yeah,
0: no problem. <laughs> thank, yes. thank you. Starting and growing a business in the Pacific can be quite a story. The size of the market, the competition from the big markets, and many infrastructure issues. But these challenges can turn into opportunities when people such as Annette take on and step up to the challenge. It's important to realize that the Pacific has the resources, the ideas, and the energy to develop if we make sure that outside players are willing to play by the rules. And it's important to make sure they do as Annette did by herself. If you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to share it on your social medias or with your friends, family or colleagues. And if you listen to it on a podcast platform, feel free to leave us a review. This is very important to us as it helps us to reach out to more people. And if you want to share your thoughts and ideas following this conversation with Annette, you can reach out to us directly by email, contact at pacificventry.com or on all our social platforms. Until next time with another guest, another discussion on the challenges of the Pacific. Take care and see you soon.